tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boostbytaxday to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. It's Tuesday, July 25th. I'm Brian Dean Wright, former CIA operations officer. And this is The Right Report. Hey, good day to you, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Right Report, your daily news podcast. I've got four briefs for you this morning that are shaping America and the world. First up, the Biden administration sued the state of Texas yesterday to force them to remove some floating border barriers that they installed on the Rio Grande River. But I got news out of Panama that says those barriers should probably stay. Second, we remain in Mexico with news that our southern neighbor is now America's number one trading partner, bigger than China. Except Beijing is actually taking advantage of a little trade loophole that you should know about. Third, we head to the African country of the Ivory Coast this morning, where Chinese fishing vessels there have absolutely destroyed the livelihoods of local fishermen. I'll explain how that gives us a critical opening, all as a part of our series called Cold War II. Finally, we close out the podcast with a personal experience of mine in the AI revolution. Folks, companies are using AI software to judge whether my podcast is worthy of advertising dollars. So I'll share with you how that idea is incredibly silly dangerous, and frankly, even deadly. But first, let's get to our top story of the morning. The federal government is suing the state of Texas, ladies and gentlemen, all because the governor there installed some floating barriers on the Rio Grande River. The Biden administration says that that is illegal, but the governor says it is most certainly not. Now, this is an issue I first briefed you about back on July 10th, but to refresh our memories, Texas Governor Greg Abbott began installing a 1,000-foot-long buoy system that's going to float on the Rio Grande River. So this system is made up of these four-foot-wide individual balloon-like buoys that, when you chain them together, make a snake-like barrier. If you want to visualize that, it resembles kind of those plastic floating lane dividers in a pool. But regardless, the goal of these things is to either first stop illegal migrants because they're simply too difficult to crawl up and over these buoys, or... Second, they will slow migrants down such that it'll give time for Texas or federal border officials to prevent their entry. Now, if you're wondering hmm, what might prevent migrants from, say, swimming under the buoys, well, they actually have a webbing system that drifts to the river bottom. So that is what the White House is so upset about this morning. They said that Texas and these buoys are a violation of a federal law called the Rivers and Harbors Act. So this law prevents or prohibits the placement of structures and waterways without federal approval, which Biden's team argues Texas did not do. Well, to that claim, the Texas governor shot back to Mr. Biden, quote, if you truly care about human life, you must begin enforcing federal immigration laws. In the meantime, Texas will fully utilize its constitutional authority to deal with the crisis you have created, end quote. Well, as that big thorny debate kicks off, legal and otherwise, we got word from authorities in Panama that there is a record number of migrants making their way through their country right now with a final destination of the United States. So here's that news. 
On Friday, Panama Security Minister Juan Manuel Pino told reporters that in July this month, there will be a record-breaking number of migrants, 250,000 passing through his country, specifically through an area called the Darien Gap. So if you have a map either on your phone or computer or in your mind, it's right on the border with Colombia. Largely jungle, some rivers, and a bunch of mud. But it is passable, especially for migrants who are on foot as they're making their way first to the Pan-American Highway, where that gets them obviously into buses and trains. Now here is something that you might not know about the Darien Gap. It is largely controlled by the Gulf Clan. That is a Colombian cartel. So what you do if you're a migrant, you pay these guys a fee and they'll let you pass. However, for women and young girls, there is an additional fee that involves some pretty horrific things that we won't discuss. But I should note that at the end of the day, Panamanian authorities are working on trying to diminish the influence and role of the Gulf Clan. But unfortunately, to date, they have not been able to put them out of business. I should also note this. Panamanian authorities shared on Friday that amongst the record-breaking number of migrants, more than 8,500 are from China. Now, that is a pretty shocking increase. Last year, for instance, there were only 2,000 Chinese illegal migrants that passed through this Darien Gap. That is according to Panamanian and U.S. Customs and Border officials. Raising the question of who exactly these additional migrants are and what is driving this pretty dramatic increase. So that's the latest on America's southern border this morning, ladies and gentlemen, from the White House's attempt to stop border control efforts involving these buoys to a record number of migrants who continue to flee north towards our border from Panama all the way, of course, to the Rio Grande, including a very odd number of Chinese migrants. With that, let me now pivot briefly from facts and data to my analysis and opinion. So last Friday, folks, I briefed you on how New York City's mayor, Eric Adams, was sending his staff to the U.S.-Mexico border to hand out paper flyers to tell migrants, do not come to New York City. Now, as I shared with you last week, that's a pretty odd thing to do if, as the Biden White House claims, the border is secure. In fact, just yesterday, once again, the Biden White House said, indeed, Ms. Corinne Jean-Pierre said at a press conference that, quote, we've actually seen the president's plan working, end quote. But I think what we're now seeing this morning is by any reasonable measure, it's not. In fact, as the Panamanian government confirmed on Friday, we've got a record number of migrants still on the way. So two things that I want to put in front of you this morning. First, we should see this latest wave hit the U.S. border in about six weeks time. So let's keep our eyes on that. Second, if the federal government candidly were earnestly worried about this border issue, in other words, stopping this crisis that appears to be getting worse, then we would leave these buoys on the Rio Grande River in place. In fact, we would throw whatever we have at this crisis. But what is now abundantly clear is that's just not going to happen, at least not when the current leadership in the White House thinks that the problem has actually already been solved. With that, let's move on to our second brief of the morning, although we're going to stay focused on Mexico, but for a very different reason. This one is economic, with a twist that, I'll be honest with you, nobody else is talking about, but should. So let's first start with this. Last week, the Federal Reserve reported that Mexico had become America's number one trading partner, passing both Canada and China. Now, the Fed reported that this increase is mostly driven by a bump in automobile manufacturing in Mexico, but they're also seeing this increase across the board. Things like the assembly of computers, electronics, appliances, furniture, and machinery of all kinds, all, of course, taking advantage of Mexico's cheap labor. 
Although I should say that tariffs are also driving some of this change, not just cheap labor. Former President Donald Trump slapped on an average of 19% tariffs on Chinese goods coming to America. So we're seeing a trend of something that is called nearshoring, which is this idea that companies should relocate their operations to be a little bit closer to the American market or the American shores rather than stay so far abroad. Okay, so that is what most media outlets have reported over the past week, that Mexico is overtaking Canada and China to become America's number one trading partner. And that's interesting enough, I suppose. But there's more to this story, and it's why we should care. As reported by the South China Morning Post, part of the reason that Mexico got to that top spot is that Chinese companies are increasingly moving their operations to Mexico, all to sneak around those Trump tariffs. The Post explained, Beijing's companies have invested about $8.3 billion since Trump levied those tariffs, and they're using that money to both buy and expand manufacturing facilities in Mexico. And of course, they're doing that because Mexico has a free trade agreement with both the United States and Canada. It's called USMCA. The three countries exchange goods with either low or no barriers or tariffs, in other words. So what's happening, ladies and gentlemen, is that Chinese companies are taking advantage of that USMCA. In other words, they're violating the spirit of that agreement. They're sneaking around these tariffs by moving their operations to Mexico. In fact, I will tell you that there are entire industrial parks in Mexico dedicated to just Chinese companies who want to relocate. As an example, there's one in Monterey, Mexico, called the Hofusan Industrial Park. It's about two hours south of Laredo, Texas. In fact, you might recall that I briefed you on those Hufusan folks and that industrial park a while back. But to refresh our memories, the Chinese companies that have relocated there, like, frankly, all Chinese companies, they have ties to the Communist Party and are obligated to do whatever Beijing tells them to do. And that includes hosting Communist Party cells and spying. So those are the facts and data, ladies and gentlemen, related to this news that Mexico is America's newest, largest trade partner. Although there's a little different story behind the numbers, isn't there? Another story about China cheating. Let me now pivot to my analysis and opinion on that and why it matters. First, I think what this demonstrates at a minimum is that this free trade agreement, this USMCA, it's broken and it needs to be fixed. Because let's remember that the Commerce Department has long said that this USMCA is, quote, mutually beneficial for North American workers, farmers, ranchers, and businesses. That's a direct quote. Now, nowhere in the words that I just mentioned had anything to do with Chinese businesses. They're not supposed to benefit. You all are. And yet, Beijing is. Now, if I can be candid with you, I, I don't blame the Communist Party for what they're doing. They are absolutely vicious and tenacious in accomplishing their goals. That includes, obviously, to either encourage or direct their companies to put down roots right across America's borders. But I do blame our politicians for letting it happen, because they should be doing what's best for us. And what's clear, at least in this case, is this Mexican loophole. It is not best for us. And that's true economically, but also from a national security perspective. So just a couple of minutes ago, I mentioned this idea of spying companies, that is Chinese companies coming to the United States, Mexico, or wherever, and responding to Beijing's call to spy. And they have to. As I've long briefed you, these companies end up turning into hubs for spying activities because Chinese law tells them that they must. And that includes industrial spying to government secrets. So what I fear 
and frankly, a lot of my colleagues at the CIA, is that these hubs are going to end up turning into some pretty dangerous bases of spying, not just for, say, traditional espionage, but also for sabotage operations, most especially in the event of a war between China and the United States. So this Mexican loophole, it's got to be closed. And I'm not just talking about that border or those floating buoys on the Rio Grande River. Ladies and gentlemen, we have to close this loophole that is the USMCA. With that, let's take our first break of the morning. Enjoy the following messages from our sponsoring partners, remembering that if you don't hear my voice telling you about a product or a service, then I do not endorse it. We'll be right back. Hey everybody, Brian here. I want to tell you about a product that's important to me, but first, something that you might not know. Of the 100 prescription drugs that Americans use most, 83 are sourced from abroad, and virtually all of it comes from either China or India. And I think that that is absolutely awful. And so too do the folks at ArcSeedKits.com. They provide heirloom seeds that can grow medicinal herbs year after year for a whole host of ailments, from anxiety to sleeplessness to topical pain. But beyond medicines, their all-in-one seed kit also gets you 65 varieties of fruits and vegetables, from carrots to tomatoes, onions to peppers. And that, my friends, is food security. And that's important because I believe that the likelihood of a war between China and the United States is growing. And that means that we need to be prepared to protect ourselves and our families. And that is why I believe, my friends, in ArcSeedKits.com. Those are heirloom seeds that can be used year after year for whatever the future might hold. So go to ArcSeedKits.com, enter that promo code of right like my last name, and then you will get 10% off. So yes, go to ArcSeedKits.com today. You will not regret this investment. Welcome back to The Right Report, folks. Let's continue with our briefs this morning with a pivot towards international news. For the first stop this morning in Western Africa, specifically the country of the Ivory Coast. And we are here, my friends, because of Cold War II. That's the idea that China and the United States are battling for the hearts and minds of peoples and countries all around the world, just like we did in the first Cold War with the Soviet Union. Well, we've got an opportunity to talk about to pick up an ally in this Cold War II fight. It's with the country of the Ivory Coast, and it has to do with fish. But first, something that you might have forgotten. Back on May 23rd, I briefed you on how China has got this jaw-dropping number of fishing vessels that operate all around the world, from the Pacific Ocean to the coast of Africa. Right? That fleet now stands at 17,000 ships globally. To put that into perspective, the next two largest fleets that are based out of Taiwan and South Korea, they have a combined 2,500 ships. And there's a difference, ladies and gentlemen, because China has just this profound, voracious number of consumers who want fish. Now, data show that Chinese people consume about 65 million tons annually of fish. For comparison purposes, the entirety of Europe is 13 million tons. So that then makes China the world's biggest market for fish. Well, unfortunately, China has already destroyed most of its local fishing stocks off its own coasts. So it's got to travel the world to frankly take everybody else's, like a swarm of locusts. They just come in and wipe out their fishing stocks as well. And that takes us to the Ivory Coast. According to reports from the French media outlet AFP, fishermen in that country have been ordered by their government to stay home. 
And that's because Chinese trawlers have dramatically reduced populations of fish like red tuna, anchovies, and threadfin. Well, that order to stay home, that has left these fishermen and their families to frankly starve, or nearly so. They're trying to scramble together about $5 a day to keep themselves alive. Now, the government of the Ivory Coast knows full well what's going on, that the Chinese trawlers are ultimately to blame. But because of corruption or weak laws, very little has been done other than to tell these fishermen to just stay put and hope that the population of fish eventually rebounds. By the way, this is not just a problem in the Ivory Coast. The AFP reports that we are seeing this exact same thing of decimated fishing stocks all throughout Western Africa in countries like Gambia, Mauritania, Senegal, Guinea-Bissau, Guinea, and Sierra Leone. So folks, let's consider those facts and data out of Africa this morning as we now pivot to my analysis and opinion. So the blunt truth is that Cold War II is not going to be won based on how evil communism is, although communism is evil, and so too are all socialists and Marxists. There's no debate about that if you look at history. But rather, what is going to push these nations away from Beijing? It's not going to be an academic conversation about communism or how bad the Reds are. Rather, it's going to be more practical stuff. Issues like Beijing's destruction of fish populations and robbing people of their livelihoods. And that would be my focus, my counsel, if I were back in the White House in the Oval Office this morning, offering my counsel as a CIA officer to the president. Right? This issue of fishing is very powerful, and we ought to hone in on it like a laser. For example, if we can offer these countries things like an expanded Coast Guard service to protect some of their territory, or maybe some of these Chinese fishing vessels suddenly sink, that would be very sad. Either way, what we make clear to both the people and the governments of these countries is that we will stand up for them. And I will tell you, having served in these places, that is exactly what they're looking for. That's what their cultures honor, strength, and frankly, a willingness to crack skulls when you got to. And that is the opportunity, ladies and gentlemen, to show these African countries and the world that America has the strength to defeat this evil that is communist China. One fish at a time. With that, let's explore the last brief of the morning, my friends. It is focused today on our ongoing series about the AI revolution. That's the global effort by computer scientists and programmers to create these neural networks that are just as smart, if not smarter, than the human mind. So this morning, I'm bringing you a personal experience with AI. It starts with the podcast, but as you will see as I tell you this story, it's really about how we are starting to use AI to delegate the task of discernment, right? We are asking a computer program to decide ultimately what is good or bad, right or wrong. And as you'll see, that can have deadly consequences. But first, let's start with a conversation that I had about a week ago with a, an advertising company, good folks, and they're helping me find companies that have products and services that I love and use, and I think you're going to love and use too. Well, one of these ad folks said something that was pretty interesting. They said that companies right now are using AI programs to download podcasts and then assign them a score or a grade. And the best way that I can describe this is sort of a, a social or political score that says, for instance, a podcast is conservative or liberal, or that a host talks about controversial social issues. And when they do, they use inflammatory or bigoted language at least as defined by the AI programming. 
Well, when I heard this, it was pretty alarming, frankly, for a couple of reasons. First, AI programs only know that something is inflammatory or bigoted if the AI programmers tell it so. In other words, if the AI programmers have a particular political bias, they will or can anyway bake into that AI programming that bias. And then we all have to live with whatever score or mark that these AI programs give us. Or in my case, my podcast may succeed or fail based on some AI score and this programmer's bias. The second thing that struck me about this conversation and this idea of an AI program giving me a score is that AI systems are terrible at picking up tone. In other words, I could say a word like black or white, but depending on my tone and the context, it could mean a thousand different things. And AI is not good at discerning that, at least not yet. But it doesn't matter. In the meantime, I'm being judged accordingly. But finally, folks, this issue of AI scraping up podcast audio and assigning me a score, it's really more than just, frankly, about me or even podcasts. It's really about humans getting lazy and leaning on AI to do one of the most important things that a human can do, and that's to discern, to use our judgment about what someone means when they say something or to determine truth, fiction, or something in between. And I want to give you an example of what I mean by this. Not about podcasts. It's a, it's a story about asking AI to discern something that had a very deadly outcome. About two weeks ago, Japanese press reported that a four-year-old girl died when an AI system falsely determined that she was safe, safe from an abusive mother. Unfortunately, the AI system was wrong and her mom beat the child to death. So here's exactly what happened. Last February of 2022, Japanese officials in the city of Sioux sat down with a mom and her four-year-old daughter, who apparently had a lot of bruising all over her body. Concerned adults had clearly reported this issue, and the country's child protective services sat the mom down and asked what was going on in the home and her relationship with her daughter. Well, during those conversations, authorities compiled the notes and then fed it into an AI system that had been trained with upwards of 13,000 cases on how to spot parental abuse, and when to intervene. Now, the goal of this AI system was to reduce the burden on the otherwise busy Japanese government officials, you know, to, to help them remove discernment and judgment to more quickly deal with so many cases. Well, this AI program came back in this particular case with a four-year-old girl and assigned her a risk of 39%, right? That was the likelihood that further abuse would possibly occur and the government should ultimately intervene. Well, according to this AI system, 39% was low enough for authorities to just let the case go, although they did agree to occasionally visit the home. And so they largely left the family to be. And then the mother beat the four-year-old child to death. Well, as this case has gotten more attention in Japan, the local authorities, to include the local governor, decided to hold a press conference. And the governor made this point. He said that AI programs in general and this 39% score in particular should have been a reference point, a starting point, but that humans have to use their judgment to make the final decision. And of course, he's right. Judgment, discernment, that is the stuff of the human mind. No computer or AI program can match that, at least for now. And that is so very important for us to remember in this AI revolution. For all of the promise that it offers, it still lacks that critical ability to discern. And that's important for so many reasons, from 
autonomous weaponry that different militaries around the world fire to taking care of our kids. And yes, deciding if a particular podcast is worth a little bit of advertising dollars, social score aside.